We have been going through a series in the book of Acts, and so today we pick up on that series in the uh, book of Acts chapter 16. And so as is our tradition today, we ask that you stand up for the reading of God's word. You can follow along with me uh, on the screen, and we're going to start with verse 16, and we're going to bounce around a little bit. All right. Let's read the word, pray for some help, and get into the word of God. Amen? Luke writes, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed with uh, that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized uh, Paul and Silas and dragged them them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Drop you down to verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose." Jumping down to verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. How then brought, uh, brought them out, excuse me, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray to the Lord for some help. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our master. Asking, Lord, that you would meet us in this place this morning, that, Lord, that you would convict hearts, that you would provide new life through your word, provide new birth, Lord. And, Lord, we pray, God, that you would uh, affirm, encourage your people right now, Lord, because, Lord, your people need it. And, Lord, we are listening, and we're asking, God, that you would intervene in our lives, God, in a, in a real way, God, because, Lord, our desperate desire and our desperate need is to become more like Jesus. So, Spirit, would you do the work? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so we are picking up in our series on uh, in the book of Acts, and we are talking about breaking barriers. We have been talking about this for the last several weeks, several months now, what it looks like to break uh, barriers and how the uh, gospel has fallen uh, through the ministry of Christ. And now the Spirit has come, and the church has been inaugurated. 
The church has been inaugurated, what we call like with us theologians like to call the church militant, and it is marching across the world, taking its orders directly from the spirit, and people's lives are changing in a real way. We see barriers being broken all over the place in the book of Acts. We see uh, barriers like um, we see uh, racial barriers being broken. No longer are people defined as the people of God by an ethnic um, qualification. Greek and Gentiles are now equal before God. They are now the people of God. Anyone who is in Christ is now considered the people of God. There's no more of them and us. It's only us if you are in Christ. We see barriers, social barriers broken. Poor and rich and slave and free are all coming together, and they are equal within the economy of God. They are all equal before God within the church place. They are equal, and they are defying societal norms. Because now you have a new race of people elevated above earthly race of people and earthly norms, earthly standards, and now you have a gospel community of God before the world. They are such a distinct people. And you even see societal gender barriers being broken. I'll see, this is unfathomable in the ancient world, but you see women even brought to the place of equality with men. Women are seen as just as valuable of men. They are image bearers just as men are. As a matter of fact, when we look at, the, at Philippi, what you're seeing is this is the first time that the ministry of the gospel has actually been established in Europe. Initially, what you have is the gospel going forth in, uh, in Judea, Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and then the outermost parts of that region is going up into Asia Minor, is seeped now into Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch, and now it's expanding westward, westward and now we we are in Europe. The Lord established the first church in Europe with a group of women. When you go back and read the previous section, you can see that there's a group of women meeting there led by Lydia who had not received the gospel yet. And Paul and Silas will run up, uh, run into her and then she would become saved. And so the first church was with a group of women. Anybody who doesn't understand the importance of women in the church, you have not read the scriptures properly. God is establishing a new work, a new ethic, a new ethos in the world. The gospel is literally exploding all over the place, and it is transforming people's lives. And that's still what's going on till this day. Now listen, one of the key components to the gospel advancing in the world is the fact that you have people being delivered. You have people being transformed, lives being transformed from darkness to light. There is great contrast within their soul. That is one of the, the key witnesses to the gospel going forth because people are, are witnessing this thing. As a matter of fact, Luke, this is the first time he's actually mentioning the we statements, which means that Luke, the author of Acts, he's actually now an eyewitness. He's not just going and talking with people. He's actually there in the flesh, and he's witnessing God doing some powerful things in the lives of people. It is still the most important or still the most vital example of gospel proclamation, the fact that God is changing people. God, me, God is saving people. People are finding new life in the gospel and new life in our God. And we're not just talking about just behavioralism. We're talking about a new transformed life. But that's not always the reality for us this morning, is it? I'm talking to the believers right now. That's not always a reality that we live out, is it? We are people that have experienced the transformation of the gospel. We have come over. We are now have now a new life. But we spend most so much of our time in the mundane. 
We spend so much of, of our time in what do we feel that we're not doing right. We spend much of our time in the repetitive things that we feel in bondage to. That thing that we continue to do over and over and over again where we begin to doubt the power of the gospel. See, the power of the gospel is just that. As Paul, as Paul described it, it is dunamis. It is power. It is, it is powerful. See, but when we go through life and we are experiencing different types of bondage in our life, it, it, it sheds doubt on the power of the gospel. And what I want to tell us this morning is that, brothers and sisters, don't doubt uh, the gospel. Don't doubt the power of the gospel. Don't doubt the indwelling spirit within you if you have the confession to the Lord that, Lord, you are my God and I believe in you and I believe that you've come to save me. There is still power that exists within us and a power of that, that brings forth a fruitful life. Jesus says that I come that you may be free. Whom the Son sets free is free what? Indeed. Oh, you got to talk to me. The who the Son free, sets free is what? Free indeed. I come that you may have life and have life more what? Abundantly. No, that we're not talking about some self-help talk today. We're talking about actually living robust lives in the gospel and spending less time in bondage to stuff. And bondage to sin. So there is freedom this morning. And I want to I declare that freedom this morning in the lives of the believer, but also in the life of those who have not come to know the Lord in this place today. And so wherever you find yourself, that, that freedom can be sought out, that can be found today. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to learn about this freedom through the, life, the lives of the Philippian slave and a Philippian jailer that in order to walk in the freedom, but in order to walk in that freedom, we must adhere to the following three encouragements. So the first thing I want us to look at is that we must flee from a bondage to sin if we're going to walk in this freedom that the Lord offers us. Let's pick up again verse 16. Luke writes, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And so what you have here in, in, in Europe now, you have them coming face-to-face -face with this slave. We don't know, even know, we don't know her name. We don't, uh, we don't know much about this person. But what we do know is her social status. We know that she is a slave, which means that she was socially and economically reduced to cattle. She was reduced to cattle. She, uh, the, the only societal value that she has is what she can produce for another person. To, to her society, she is not a being, but a doing. It's about what you can do. You are simply here to serve a function. It is one of the most demoralizing systems in the history of mankind, slavery. And this is certainly what all types of slavery can do to us. It demoralizes us. It reduces us to what we're doing, and we're not operating out of our being. The next thing we know about her is that she possessed a spirit that allowed her to predict the future. She is, we're not talking about the stuff that you see today when, when all the fake stuff, when they got a bug in their ear and they hear what your, your problems are, or they look you up on the internet and they're able to predict what's going on. We're talking about actual stuff that's going on. As Christians, we do not believe only in the material world. We believe in the non-material. 
we believe that there are certain things that you cannot simply see under, the, uh, under a microscope. We believe in scripture when it says that you are surrounded by all types of principalities, that that is real and it is true. And this woman is tapping into that, into these powers, and she's able to make great money for her owners. See, this is before technology. This is before internet. You can't put the name in uh, this person, uh, justice of whatever, and then say that, okay, I know what your problem is. No, she is really uh, given power from, uh, from uh, evil spirits. And so essentially you have a woman who is a social leper, and she is also what you would consider a social freak who is enslaved to people, culture, and a false truth. She's enslaved to people. She's enslaved to, to, to what they desire for her or what they want for her. She's enslaved to a system, but she's also enslaved to a false truth. It is very interesting that she's able to follow these men around, follow Paul and Silas around, and say that these men have the truth. These men serve the, the most high God. These men, they, they know what it means to be saved. They know how to get, get you saved. Here, follow these men. She knew that in the same way that the demons knew when they were talking with Jesus. But over and over again, every time a demon authenticated the ministry of Jesus, Jesus shuts them up quickly. And we're not told why uh, Paul allows this to go on for several days, but he does. But, but with this, we are invited to ask these questions looking at this woman's life. What, uh, who are the people you are enslaved to? Who are you enslaved to? What opinions, who, whether they were passed away or whether they are still alive, who are you enslaved to? It doesn't always have to be physical, ladies and gentlemen. And sometimes it is physical. What societal standards do you try to live up to? What, what societal narrative are you trying to live out? This may be you this morning. If I don't have this or if I don't look like this or if I don't have this particular look, then I am not measuring up. What lie are you believing right now? What false truth are you operating under? It is very possible to know the truth of God, but not to know it in a transformative way. It is very possible to only have truth that is cognitive in nature, but does not seep down into the heart and to the soul to transform. What lies are you believing right now? See, here's the reality. Many Christians are suffering with some of the same mental anguish this tormented soul struggle with on a daily basis. See, it, it, it comes out of this, this, if people knew the real me. If people actually knew the stuff that I struggled with, if people actually knew the conclusions that I came down to at the end of each day, if people actually understood what I did, if people understood how I responded to my children when they get on my nerves, if people understood how I talk to my mother when I get mad, if people understood the way I talk and I, when I have my private conversations in my car when somebody's cutting me off, oh, if people really knew me, would they accept me? See, I, I, I believe, and I believe that you would agree with me, that one, for there's certainly a fear of acceptance, and I'm going to tell you how I know that. There's a fear of, a state of, of acceptance because many times when we come into the church of God, that's the time that you're supposed to look your best. That's the time where you dress up and you buy your nice shirt from Buckle, okay? I, I don't, ain't no shame in my game, all right? I like Buckle. 
All right, that's the time where you, you, you clean up, you got your hair cut, you're looking good, you put your best foot forward when you go to church. That's the time when somebody talks to you, how you doing, you quote all the scriptures you need to quote. That's when you have to have it all together. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not the church where you have to necessarily have it all together. This is the place where you come where you can be the most real, where you're supposed to be the most real. This is the place where you come where you say that, hey, I've been going through some stuff throughout the whole week. I don't understand why God is allowing certain things to happen in my life. I need some help right now in this place. I need you to preach the gospel over me. I need some prayer right now. It's the place where we come to where we can be real. But in today's church society or in today's church environment, no, that's not the place where you come to be real. It's the place where you come to be false. It's the place where you come and you show up and you have it all together. Let me tell you something. That is a form of bondage. Why? Because it is an inability to be real. It is an inability to, to be able to talk with people and, and actually do real life together. And so what happens is we operate in life and put on a self, a false self in order to foster a false reality so people can have a false view of who we are. Thus, we're operating under a false truth, just like this woman. Oh, and I know I'm not the only one up in this place. I ain't by myself and, and struggling with this thing. Come on now. See, we, we, we tend to forget that when we become a Christian that, hey, we are still human like our unbelieving brothers, and we still feel some things, and we still can sometimes come under bondage to some things. Let me tell you something. When we don't properly ventilate the struggles of the soul, they become trapped and bound within us. When we don't believe that we can be real about our struggles because we believe that we're going to be ostracized, when we can't talk about the struggles that are happening in our marriages, this is where a lot of times divorce comes out of because, because so for so long we have allowed it to happen in secrecy and darkness. Bondage. God wants us to flee from Bondage, bondage to sin, whether that is a sin that you are committing or whether that is a sin that you're coming up under because of other people's view of you. Essentially, this comes down to a fear of men, men and women and their opinions of you. What person who knows the gospel, what person who stands in the face of God, in the face of the love of Jesus, who says and declares over you that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, what person would there say that, hey, your opinion matters in, in, in as much that, that I should worry about what I am or, or what I'm struggling with where I can't even say it? What person's opinion matters for the Christian? There is a freedom that we know because of the work that Jesus did on the cross in landing all out and dying for people that he loved. You are the object of eternal love. I am the object of, of eternal love. God loves us. But over and over again, we say that, Lord, I exalt this person and these people to a place in my heart that was never meant to be. See, your soul can't handle that type of pressure. That's why you can be bare before God. God knows it anyway. God sees you. 
And so many of us are going through some bondage right now, bondage to stuff, bondage to porn, bondage to anger, bondage to our past. Listen, let me tell you something. When you are saved, see, we're talking about a positional righteousness. Let me do some little theology right here. We're talking about a positional righteousness. What does that mean? That, that when you are saved and you believe that God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. When you step into that belief and say that, Lord, I believe you, I give my life to you, you are good before the Father. You are now reconciled before the Father, and nothing can separate you from that. That is positional. You in the right position. You are good to go. But what God is also saving is something in, in, in a concept that we call sanctification. He's also saving your narrative. He's also redeeming you because each and every last one of you have a story. Each and every last one of you lived a life before you became a Christian, if you are a Christian in this place. And so there are some things that change like that. I remember when I became a Christian, there are some things that change just like that. I stopped lying, making up all the stories about what girls I was with. I'm, I'm just, I, I was a virgin. Uh, all, I was a virgin before I got married. I'm going to put that out there. That's no condemnation for anybody who was it. All right, feels good. <laughs> I stopped lying about, about who, I, who I was and who I was. I stopped cursing. I had a whole day from the, from the time I became a Christian, I stopped cursing. It just, certain things just changed like that. Oh, but give your Christian life a couple years. And you begin to realize that, oh, there is still an old person in me. There's still something there. What my, my relationship with my mom, it mattered. My relationship with my father, it mattered. What my father didn't tell me, it matters. What my mom did say, it matters. My relationship with my, my siblings, it matters. What I feel in the society, it matters. All those things are, they matter. And those are the things that, that still, that comes up in life. And those are the things that we become in bondage to. See, in order to be freed from those things, we have to have a response like Paul has in verse 18. What is the response here? Verse 18, he says that uh, finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. It says that the brother got so extremely annoyed that he had to say, Perigallo, come out of her. You got to stop this thing. This, this, you, it's lost in translation. I, I, I want to really just give it to you the way that it says he was extremely annoyed. Yeah, the apostles, yeah, pastors, yeah, we get extremely annoyed sometimes. We, 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 we real people. He says he got extremely annoyed at this woman following them around for several days. It's kind of like uh, the, the, the father and the, the mother trying to have a real good conversation. You know how I go. You know, at the end of work, you're trying to debrief and your beautiful, savant, above average, beautiful, next best thing uh, children come and keep tap, daddy, mommy. Mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, mommy. What, my beautiful savant, next best thing, child, what, what is it that you need? It's that annoyance. I know I'm being real with somebody in this, but it's the annoyance that comes within, within this brother. In the Greek, he was so annoyed, it says he turned around. An annoyance, come out of her, speaking to the demon. 
See, see, this is the same declaration that we have to make to sin. We have to make to those things that are in front of us, those things that seek to bound us. We have, sin is something that you don't play with in Scripture. You're not told, this is not one of those things that you're told to withstand, like persecution. Sin says that, no, you don't withstand, you flee from sin. You don't play or toy with it, you flee from it. And, and God is faithful to make a route of escape. That's what Scripture tells us. Galatians 5.1, Paul says it this way, it is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is not fitting for the, the believer, for the unbeliever, it is to say, I recognize my need to have a whole and right relationship with my God, with my creator. Because without such, I haven't ever possessed, I can't ever possess the freedom that I want, or that I was created for. It is the only way to call out bondage. It is to call it out. It is to name it. It is to, to, to say what this thing is. I love, I'm, I'm, I'm from the hood. I, you've heard this before. I'm from the hood in St. Louis. But uh, brother's also a geek, and I, and I don't mind admitting that. Um, you can cute, uh, uh, get the picture up there. Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories is Lord of the Rings, okay? I love, I'm a Lord of the Rings fanatic, okay? Don't you say nothing crazy about Lord of the Rings. So we got a problem. <laughs> All right. One of my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings is when um, my man, um, uh, uh, Fadden, um, he is possessed by a spirit, the darkness of Mordor. I see my Lord of the Rings fans, uh, fans um, agreeing with me. And he is in the council of darkness, and Gandalf comes to save the day. Gandalf draws this spirit out of him like poison from a wound. And Gandalf, my man, says that that too long you have set in the shadows. He says, breathe the fresh air again, my friend. One of my favorite lines in the whole story. This is something that we're offering. This is what it's like. This woman, for the first time, after being under the counsel of the demonic, for the first time, she's actually having life. She's breathing fresh air. She's saying that, oh, I see myself differently now. I now see with clearer eyes. See, I now am able to see with the truth of the gospel about who I am, about what I'm not. See, this is the invitation for believers in this place today that remember, see, you have a way to look at reality because you know reality. See, sins, it gives you a narrative that is untrue. Sin tells you lies, but the gospel tells you the truth. It tells you the truth about reality. It tells you the truth about yourself. This is not a self-help type of thing that I'm doing here. No, we have to declare the truth of the gospel to ourselves. We have to declare the truth of the gospel over ourselves and to one another that we may not fall away into lies. Because sin will cause you to lie to yourself about who you are. Sin will cause you to say that I'm not good enough. Sin will cause you to say that because of my societal status that, that I am worthless. Sin will cause you to say that I am ugly because of the sins that I've been struggling with and I desperately want freedom. Sin will say that, but the gospel says that, that no, you belong to the Lord. You are covered by his righteousness. You are already accepted. 
You do not have to do or perform to be accepted before God, that God loves you and God sees you as you will be and not as you are. That's what the gospel says, and that's what we preach to ourselves. I'm a sinner, as Luther said. Yes, and what of it? I am loved. I am lavished with the love of the Lord. But it does invite us with the opportunity to reach out. Listen, the way that you can do this, there's some of us that have never shared our story before. I learned this from a counselor. Whatever you don't name, whatever you don't label, whatever you don't own will control you. We can act like the stuff that happened in our past doesn't control us. I literally believe that escape, like when I became a Christian and after years, I literally believe that all that stuff that happened the 15 years prior to me become, uh, becoming a Christian, it really didn't matter. No, it does matter. We can say with Paul that by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am who I am. And God used those things in your life, the hurtful things in your life, to make you who you are for his glory. But I want to encourage you to get in community right now, if you're not in community, and share your story. Begin to make connections. Why do I do what I do? Why do I think the way I think? Why am I afraid of people? Why am I distrusting? Why do I do this? Why do I feel clingy and I feel clingy and I feel like I need people so much? Why? What is going on within me? Get in community and name that thing and, 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 and own it and allow the fresh air, the free air of the gospel to come again that you may breathe through which you discover and what God was doing in you. The next thing we see here is that not all bondage is destructive. Not all bondage is, spiritual destruct, is spiritually destructive. So let's, let's go to our second point here. We are called to embrace a bondage of glory. A bondage of glory. Let's read in verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to, uh, in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. As a result of casting this demon out of this young lady, Paul and Silas was were taken before a mob. They were beaten by this mob, and they were flogged by the authorities. Flogged by the authorities and then thrown into jail. They were placed in the inter-prison, uh, which meant the intercell, which meant they were uh, under maximum security. This place was very dark. It was almost pitch black dark. They were fat, their feet were fastened to planks of wood, and they were, uh, their hands were uh, fashioned, I mean, uh, fastened to chains to the wall. Very uncomfortable place. These people, you can imagine, they had wounds all over them, and they were very uncomfortable. What that means is that they probably, were, they probably experienced a lot of discomfort, which is probably why they're up in the middle of the night singing hymns because they probably couldn't get to sleep. And it is very interesting that these brothers are singing hymns in the midst of the situation, because I know that that's what all of us do when we're going through. We sing hymns in the midnight. Okay. Uh, I'm, I want to be real, free, freedom and being real. Okay. So, so it says that, but, but I, I want us to see this. They, they're in the cells, and then there's an earthquake. 
the earthquake. Now, I was an average student in math, but I know that my math is not this average when it comes to this. Let, let's do some adding right quick. It says, the earthquake unfastened the chains, and you would think that would equal Paul and Silas escaping from this place. Now, now one of the other times I preached here, uh, I talked about how the Spirit of the Lord led, or an angel led Peter out of his imprisonment. Uh, but these brothers, they don't escape. In the hood, you, you quickly know and you quickly learn that when you see a bunch of people running, you run too. You, you, you don't ask questions. You, when you stop, why were we, we running? That's, that's real stuff. That ain't just comedy. These brothers stay right there in the prison. This is very interesting. It's very important that they stay right there in the prison. This is Silas. You know, I can imagine Silas. Silas, this is probably his first missionary trip. And on his brother's first missionary trip, he gets beat. You know, I don't know if I'm like, Paul, that, you know, maybe you should go to the next one without me, man. I mean, Lord bless you, you know, benediction and all. But he, he said, he's, Paul, like, don't move. Stay right there. Tell other prisoners, don't move. You stay right there. This is a very important point as we talk about the bondage of glory. Here's a principle that I want us to hear. The effects and benefits of God working in your life is not confined to the borders of you, but it extends to, to the lives of those closest to you and around you at large. Do you hear me? What's going on in your life and some of the things that come upon you in your life where you can explain, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why am I experiencing this right now? Why am I experiencing this sickness right now? Why am I experiencing this hardship? What is going on right now, Lord? It's not just for you. Lord, why did I go through all that stuff that I went through? It's not just for you. God is going to use that. All things are working together for the good of, the, uh, of those according, um, uh, called by the Lord. Let's try it again. All things work together for the good of those who are called by God according to his purpose. Ah, seminary did not do me well in that one. <laughs> Essentially, the, the scripture means... God is working all things for the good of those who love the Lord. There we go. And are called according to his purposes. Amen. God is using all those things in our life. He's using it for our good. He's using it for the good of the gospel. And he's going to use it here. Listen, the earthquake did not rescue Paul and Silas. Do you understand what I'm saying? It just, it's the purpose of the earthquake was not to rescue them. The, earth, the, the purpose of it. See, you have, let's do, the, let's do the math the right way. The earthquake plus the unfastened chains, it, it equals the display of God's glory. That's the purpose of it. And sometimes when we experience certain things in life, listen, it's, it's not just simply for you. It's God and it's God is holding you up and holding you out that people may see what it is that you're going through. That people may see what it was that you experienced and what you survived. Is God holding it out? And, and sometimes we can't explain why it is or the, the purpose of it, but as God saying that I know why it is, that people may see because it was through that miracle that fear was struck in the, in the heart of this man, and he said that, hey, what must I do to be saved? 
And essentially what he's asking is, hey, what must I do not to invoke the, the wrath of the gods? S. Paul says that I have an answer for you. And that is Jesus, the Lord. Believe in him and you shall be saved. They were in a bondage of glory. They were in something that the Lord was using for the sake and proclamation of the gospel. I am reminded of a story that we, many of us may be very familiar with, and that is the life of Horatio Spafford. This is a man who experienced great loss and great grief. His family, were, in 1873, were on a voyage, and they were on a voyage to France. And as they are, while they are on the Atlantic Ocean, they experienced a shipwreck, and his wife, Anne, and his four daughters were aboard. All of his children perished. His wife survived. And the only way that he received notice about the whole incident was a telegram that was sent from his wife. It says that all is well, all is lost, and I am well. We've lost our children, husband. It was later recorded by one of the witnesses that heard from Anne. She said that now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. That's what she said. And I'm not sure if she ever understood or came to understand why on this side of heaven. And I'm sure that she understands now, and I'm not sure if Horatio ever came to understand. But one thing I do know is that literally because of that incident, millions upon millions of Christians are now reading the result of that incident. It was out of that incident that Horatio wrote the great hymn, It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. I can't tell you how many times I've had to read this sin in my midnight hour. For seven years, we suffered in trying to get a child and how often I had to sing this in my soul that my soul may be revived. And I say, when I meet my, the brother Horatio, brother, I'm not sure if you got that then. I'm sure you know it now, but thank you so much because God used your life, lifted it up, and held it out. I told people, watch my glory. Watch what I do. And some of us have experienced and may experience this type of call in our lives. But we have a great assurance that great is the glory of those that suffer, as our Lord reminds us in Matthew 5. And so I, I, I want to say that, that this is an invitation for us, that as we're looking at uh, fleeing from a bondage of sin, which causes so much uh, soul bondage, impressing and embracing a, a, a bondage of glory, which we say that, Lord, I accept that my life is yours, that you are the powder and I am the clay. And I say to the Lord, use my life as you will. Lord, but give me the grace that I may be able to sing hymns in my midnight hour. We see this, but this is also an invitation to rest. 
our, our brother Luther, he has this, uh, this, this great way of understanding righteousness. He breaks righteous, uh, our righteousness up in, in two words, active and passive. You have an active righteousness, you have a passive righteousness. Now, what, what, what does he mean by that? The passive righteousness, let me see, well, we'll see the active. The active righteousness first, that's the righteousness, that's the stuff that you're doing and cooperating with God with your sanctification. That's, that's what you do on a daily basis that, Lord, I want to work my salvation out with fear and trembling. I want to get this thing. I want to do things the, the right way because I love you. I want to say no to this, and I want to say yes to this. That's what you're doing actively. But then there's a passive righteousness that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, positionally. That you're good. There's a passive righteousness. You, you don't have to do anything once you come to the Lord in terms of you don't have to do anything for acceptance. You don't have to do anything to be right. So as we are talking about, and as we talk about behavior and things that we're doing, listen, we're not doing that with the motivation to get God to smile at us, to accept us. He loves you. This is an invitation to rest. We see what happens with the Philippian jailer. So the Philippian jailer was filled with joy because he had come to know the Lord. And he was also filled with joy. We'll read that. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This, this brother is experiencing a rest that he has never experienced before. And it's not the active that he's thinking about right now. It's the passive. What God has done for him. Rest. And this is exactly what we are invited to when we are invited to the meal of the Lord, the table of the Lord, is to rest in what he has done on your behalf, that you may be right with God and that you may know who your creator is. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks and says that this is my broken body, broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, Jesus took a cup and he poured wine and said that this is the blood of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is an invitation for us to rest in the Lord as we flee from the bondage of sin, flee from the bondage of what others think about us and walk into the freedom of the Lord, embracing a bondage of glory, but resting in our Lord, I invite you to sup on the mercies of the Lord. The wine is marked by twine and the juice is not. We ask that you do whatever your conscience permits. You're going to come forward at the front of the church when the time is ready. And, um, and, and, and we would take communion that way. We have a gluten-free uh, option uh, right here at Kettle Corner uh, to my left. If you have not uh, experienced true freedom in the Lord by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we ask that you abstain from this meal, but we do invite you into fellowship that you may know and come to know who the Lord is. Let us pray.